0: Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 830 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. Good morning, everyone. glad that we're together, and as already been said, but thanks again to uh, New Rain for being with us. I'm just so thankful for uh, people who have that gift. I don't. (laughs) Uh, and I'm very appreciative of those who do, uh, whether it's the folks who do such a great job week in and week out here, or people who are able to travel around like you folks are, and uh, that's just a a very, very great blessing for us. Uh, We're continuing on in Jeremiah this morning. We are seeking to live life at its best, and there's this unlikely guide, the weeping prophet, that we're using to help us be able to kind of figure that out. Rather than just being mired down by all the the discouragements of life that would lead us into a path of mediocrity. We want to, as God challenged Jeremiah, to run with the horses and to experience life at its very best. And last week, we left off here. Uh, One of the things that we saw was that life at its best, one of the things we learned from Jeremiah, is lived in obedience to God. And most of Jeremiah is a very negative message about how they weren't doing that, but the the positive message that we're gleaning is that this really is in our best interest. And if you want to live life at its very best, one of the keys is to just to live it in obedience with God. And so last time I shared with you this little uh, remodeling project that we had when we lived in Searcy, Arkansas. And I won't show you all the pictures again, but just uh, kind of one little brief recap for those who were here last week, and maybe to bring you up to speed if you weren't here, we had an older house that we just completely uh, transformed. And this this one, one uh, area here, the kitchen, which needed a lot of work, as you could see, and then we put the work into it, and this is what we ended up with. But what was important, and probably you remember this if you were here last time, was in order to go from uh, the before to the after, we had to do this. We had to just tear things apart uh, to be able to put them back together again. And the point that we talked about last time was that sometimes before there can be construction, there has to be destruction. Uh, There there are things that have to be torn away. Well, God also has a little remodeling project going on, and it's in my life and yours. And it lasts an entire lifetime. He is trying to reshape us so that we look like Jesus. That, that's God's remodeling project. He is shaping us into the image of, of Jesus. And there are things that hinder that. There are things about us sometimes that just get in the way of this work that God is trying to do. And so I asked you last week to be looking for those warning signals. What What is there you know, in, in my life that might be hindering the work that God is trying to do? And then when we see that, we, uh, as we talked about several weeks ago in the series on repentance, we realign our lives so that we are, are uh, now in alignment with God and he can do that work in us. Um, and so there's a, there's a, I think that principle helps us uh, bring some clarity to a fairly common struggle. In fact, probably a struggle that's found with most people. And it, before we get into Jeremiah, I want to read from Psalm 66, Uh, And if you're following along, usually I use the uh, NLT, but this particular passage, I like the way the New International Version uh, reads it, and I want to share it with you that way. Um, It begins, I love the way, it's one of my favorite psalms. Shout for joy to God, all the earth, sing the glory of his name, make his praise glorious. And that tells you right away, you're in for a great psalm. Uh, Because we like that, we like the idea of, having something within us that would lead us to shout to God uh, with with joy. And so he goes on to say, Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. And that really is what this psalm is about. It is about pointing to to God's mighty deeds. And so that's why we can shout for joy to him because of all these this wonderful work that he has done. And he says a little bit later on in verse 5, come and see what God has done, His awesome deeds for mankind. And then he begins to recount some of those awesome deeds. He talks about how uh, the the Red Sea, that's what Israel will always point to, the Psalms will point to so much, how God delivered uh, His people from, uh, from Egyptian captivity by parting the Red Sea, and they were able to go through. And there are other things that he points to that God has done that make us want to praise Him. And then in about the middle of that psalm, he starts naming some things that are a little surprising. Things that you think you might leave out of a psalm where you're praising God for His mighty works, but he, he really kind of builds the psalm around these. So in verse 10, he says, For you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. Well, how do you, how do you refine silver? You put it in the fire. And the fire burns away the impurities. And so this process of being in the fire, he sees that as something to praise God for. You tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let people ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. And then he'll go on and kind of resume praising God and promising to keep his vows to God because of, of what God has done. Um, and so I, I think one of the things that we can see from this is that when we're going through those difficult moments in life, when, when we feel like we're going through fire and water and people are uh, refi- uh, are running over our heads and we feel like that silver that's being put in the fire, those, those times where we feel burdened, are really times when it might just be that God is doing some destruction so that He can do some construction. That that God is trying to move us to a better place and He's using these circumstances to do that, these circumstances to make us more like Jesus. And what I think that does is help us as we wrestle with the why. Uh, You probably have asked that question of God. Why? What, why is this happening? And I don't, I don't think it's true, but we think sometimes if we just understood why, we could handle it better. But I don't think that's really the case. But, but we, we, we ask that question so many times. I know that when my, when my first wife died of brain cancer at the age of 54, uh, that was a question I struggled with. Why, you know, why, why is all this happening? And I, I still don't have the answer to that. I, I still don't know why. There are some people that would say, well, you know, God allots a certain number of days to us, and, um, you know, and and he arranged things so that that number for her expired on November 5th, 2013. There are other folks who would say, and I and I lean more in this direction, that we just live in a fallen world. We just live in a fallen world. And in this world, bad things happen to good people. And, and we may not know which is going on here, what's happening, but I don't, I don't know that it really matters all that much because, of, uh, because whatever the cause is, whatever is really going on here, the one thing I do know is that God will use those destructive forces to do something good in us. God will use those destructive forces to bring us to a place of abundance. And that, that's what I experienced. I, you know, I don't want to go through that. I would not any, want anyone to go through that but I am a better man because of that. God used that experience to to transform me in some ways and to help me become more reliant upon Him and to to just grow in some ways. And I really am a better man having gone through that, even though it was not a a good experience to, to go through. And so when we find ourselves in times of struggle, rather than thinking that God has rejected us, Maybe what we can do is begin to to wonder, well, will God use this to bring something good? Will God use this to to kind of do some destruction so that he can build something within me? Will God use this to help me become more aligned with his will? And when you look at it that way, you can see that, well, there really is a blessing in this. Maybe the event itself isn't something that's good. But, but there is a blessing that can come from that. And I think many times that blessing is it helps us become more obedient to God. It helps us realize we don't have what it takes on our own to make it. And we need to be in, uh, aligned with God. And, um, and that is a very, very good thing. And here's why I think it's so good. Here's why I like the, the phrase of seeing obedience as a blessing. And I think it's one of the things that, that Jeremiah teaches us. We, we tend to think of obedience as following the rules. Um, you know, we tell our children, uh, you need to obey me. And usually the reason that we'll tell them that is because they're breaking some rule, right? Uh, you know, you need to quit hitting your sister. You know, obey me in this. Don't, don't put beans up your nose. You know, obey me in that. And those are good rules. <laughs> rules, rules have a good purpose. Rules, there's nothing wrong with Rules. But I really would like for us to expand our concept and expand our practice to, we get to the, where we get to the point where we're really seeing obedience as living within the will of God. That's what obedience really is. It's, it's simply living within the will of God and, and trying to align our lives with His will. Um, and so rather than just lining up with the rules, we're asking ourselves, I, I, you know, I want to be close to God. I want to follow God. Well, what is God's particular course for me in my life? And so I'm, I'm asking, well, what, how, do I, how do I live within the will of God? There is God's expressed will, which is the Bible. And so we see there, there are things that, and there are some rules there. There are things that God says put off. And there are things that God says put on. Uh, but there's also God's, Perceived will, that is, God working through the Holy Spirit, uh, through conscience and through circumstances and through uh, the impact of other people. And so, so uh, what is God doing? How is God using the circumstances of my life to help me kind of just get closer to him and get on this path that he has marked out for me? Now, there's, let's get to Jeremiah uh, there's a there's a great story in Jeremiah where you see this and, and you see what a what a great thing it is to be living within the, the will of God. Uh, in Jeremiah thirty five, there's a group that's known as the Rechabites, and we don't know much about them at all. They're just this nomadic community that lived in that region, but they become kind of some uh, have a, some important people, I guess, in, in Jeremiah chapter thirty five. Chapter begins with Jeremiah saying, "This is the message the Lord gave Jeremiah when Jehoiakim son of Josiah was king of Judah. Go to the settlement where the families of the Rechabites live and invite them to the Lord's temple. Take them into one of the inner rooms and offer them some wine." So Jeremiah goes out, he finds this group, he brings them into the temple, and it was kind of a customary thing to do if you have guests to offer them some wine. So Uh, That's what God tells Jeremiah to do. And so he does that. Um, He says, I set cups and jugs of wine before them and invited them to have a drink, but they refused, which probably was a bit of a surprise to Jeremiah. No, they said, we don't drink wine because our ancestor Jehonadab, son of Rechab, gave us this command. This is the command. You and your descendants must never drink wine and do not build houses or plant crops or vineyards but always live in tents. And if you follow these commands, you will live long, good lives in the land. So we have obeyed him in all these things. Now, Jehonadab, the ancestor who told them this, shows up again in the Bible. Uh, you, You hear about him when the Bible is talking about another king, Jehu. And Jehu began to reign about the year 840 B.C., And now in Jeremiah, we've come down to where it's 600 B.C. So 240 years ago, think George Washington before he was president. 240 years ago, this man said to his ancestors, here's what I want you to do. Here's how I want you to live. And they have obeyed him. And so God says, I I want you to learn a lesson from this. And here's that lesson. The Lord gave this message to Jeremiah. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says. Go and say to the people in Judah and Jerusalem, come and learn a lesson about how to obey me. He's going to use the Rechabites to teach everyone else a lesson about obedience. He says, the Rechabites do not drink wine to this day, because their ancestor Jehonadab told them not to. But I have spoken to you again and again, and you refuse to obey me. Time after time, I sent you prophets who told you, turn from your wicked ways and start doing things right. Stop worshiping other gods so that you might live in peace here in the land I have given to you and your ancestors. But you would not listen to me or obey me. The descendants of Jehonadab, son of Rechab, have obeyed their ancestor completely, but you have refused to listen to me. point isn't about drinking wine. It's not about living in tents. Um, it is simply about obedience. By being obedient to their ancestor, what the Rechabites were doing was honoring him. They were honoring him. And things went well for them. And even at this point, when the Babylonians are coming in and they're just creating all this turmoil, the Rechabites are going to get through that. And God makes a promise to them that they're, they're going to continue on. They're going to do okay through all this. And God is saying, that's, that's what I want. That's, that's what I want. Here are some people who, have, who are living a certain way because of something that an ancestor told them 240 years ago. And God is saying, I want that from you. I want you to honor me uh, that way. And I, I want things to go well for you and things were not going well. And it's because they simply were not obeying God. Uh, they, they just, it just wasn't there. The people of Jeremiah's day struggled with trying to live out obedience as a lifestyle. Now they, were, they were good at certain moments. They, they were good at those big religious events you know, where there was group momentum. We heard last time they prayed this really powerful prayer of confession. And 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 it was just so moving and, and so wonderful. And we were surprised that God didn't turn, but but God knew what was going on. Um they they just weren't good at sustaining that. And years later, you know, they'll go off, be carried off to Babylon, for, and they'll be there for 70 years, just as Jeremiah said they would. And then again, just as Jeremiah said, they're going to come back to the land. And Nehemiah tells us that when they get there, there's this great revival. And they're, you know, they are um, they're, they're just really excited about being God's people, so much so that they even have a a what they call a binding agreement written out. It says, We're not going to follow these other gods anymore, and we're going to keep the Sabbath, and we're going to do all these things. And they even had their leaders sign that binding agreement, but they couldn't sustain that. They, they, it, they just, it just didn't last. They were great at these big moments. When they could pray these prayers and do these things, but from God's perspective, those big moments didn't define who they were as much as who they were when they left the temple and they went to their homes and their shops and their fields. They, and I think we sometimes struggle with what one writer has called a long obedience in the same direction. I like that. A long obedience in the same direction, just being faithful to God day in and day out, day in and day out, just just being faithful to God in those big things and little things. We will never be so mature that obedience is unimportant. Uh, That will never be unimportant as long as we're walking with God. We'll never have so much Bible knowledge. We'll never be involved in so many good works. Um, we, we will never be so mature that obedience doesn't matter. It, it does matter because, in fact, it is really the mark, one of the marks of a mature uh, spiritual life in Jesus. It matters because of what it says to God, and it matters because of the path that it puts us on. In chapter 6 of Jeremiah, he warns in some really disturbing language about this judgment that's on its way from the people of Judah, and we've we've heard this before from Jeremiah, and it's I mean he just gets really pretty harsh about what's going to happen when the Babylonians come. But even in that chapter, in that message, there is a message of hope that's still there, where God is God is saying it. You know, you you still can come back. Maybe the nation as a whole isn't going to survive this, but but you you still can can change who you are at least individually. And so in, in verse sixteen. Jeremiah says, this is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Just just stop. You've got a choice to make as to which way you're going to go. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its path and you will find rest for your souls. I want to invite us to experience the blessing of a lifestyle of obedience. A lifestyle of obedience. You know, there's an old hymn that says, you, you, um, but we never can prove the delights of His love until all on the altar we lay. And I think that's true. But we'll never really know what it's like to be in close communion with God until we just lay everything out there. That we, we are 100% yours. And that some of you probably recognize the title of that song. It is Trust and Obey. And I think those two go hand in hand. We trust God enough that we want to obey Him. We we trust Him enough that we want to be on the path He has marked out for us. There is this all-powerful God who who made us uh, and who gave His Son to die for us. And more than anything else, just wants to get us home. He's just trying to get us home to be with Him. Here is the path. Here's the path where following Jesus will take us. And, and, and so we'll never really will know the delights of his love until we say, that's the path I want to be on. Nothing is so free as simply completely turning our lives over to him. Being obedient, living out that grace-filled life that God has chosen for us. Now, there's an enemy who wants you to think you can't do it. Satan wants you to think it's too hard. That it's just kind of dabble in religion a little bit. Don't really worry about <clears throat> those, those areas of your life that are contrary to the will of God. Just, you know, it, it, that's, that's too hard. And there are too many things you're going to give up if you do that. There, there, there are too many conflicting voices. Or maybe the message from him is you've already failed too many times. You're simply not going to be able to do it with the, the power and love of God, prove him wrong. Prove him wrong. Prove that you want to be on this path that God has put you on. And no matter how many times you get off the path, you're going to keep coming back to it. I want to close with a, a poem. Um, and it's, it's an older poem. You, you know that because it rhymes. <laughs> I don't think they make poems that, that rhyme anymore. Um, and this, this poem is written from the perspective of Uh, a little boy and his father, but it also is true of little girls and mothers as well. It's called The Race by D.H. Groberg. And it begins, Quit, give up, you're beaten. They shout at you and plead. There's just too much against you. This time you can't succeed. And as I start to hang my head in front of failure's face, my downward fall is broken by the memory of a race. And hope... Refills my weakened will as I recall that scene. For just the thought of that short race rejuvenates my being. A children's race, young boys, young men, how I remember well. Excitement, sure, but also fear, it wasn't hard to tell. They all lined up so full of hope, each thought to win that race, or tie for first, or if not that, at least take second place. The fathers watched from off the side, each cheering for his son and each boy hoped to show his dad that he could be the one. The whistle blew, and off they went, young hearts and hopes of fire. To win and be the hero there was each young boy's desire. And one boy in particular, whose dad was in the crowd, was running near the lead and thought, my dad will be so proud. But as they speeded down the field across a shallow dip, the little boy who thought to win lost his step and slipped. Trying hard to catch himself, his hands flew out to brace, and amid the laughter of the crowd, he fell flat on his face. But as he fell, his dad stood up and showed his anxious face, which to the boy so clearly said, get up and win the race. He quickly rose, no damage done, behind the bit. that's all, and ran with all his might and mind to make up for the fall. So anxious to restore himself, to catch up and to win. His mind went faster than his legs. He slipped and fell again. He wished then that he had quit before with only one disgrace. I'm hopeless as a runner now. I shouldn't try to race. But in the laughing crowd, he searched and found his father's face. That steady look, which said again, get up and win the race. So up he jumped to try again. Ten yards behind the last. If I'm going to gain those yards, he thought, I've got to move real fast. Exerting everything he had, he regained eight and ten. But trying hard to catch the lead, he slipped and fell again. Defeat. He lay there silently, a tear drop from his eye. There's no sense running anymore. Three strikes, I'm out. Why try? The will to rise had disappeared. Think about that line. The will to rise had disappeared. All hope had fled away. So far behind, so error prone, a loser all the way. I've lost, so what he thought. I'll live with my disgrace. But then he thought about his dad, who soon he'd have to face. Get up, the echo sounded low. Get up and take your place. You were not meant for failure here. Get up and win the race. With borrowed will, get up, it said. You haven't lost it all, for winning is no more than this, to rise each time you fall. So up he rose to run once more, and with a new commit, he resolved that win or lose, at least he wouldn't quit. So far behind the others now, the most he'd ever been, still he he gave it all he had and ran as though to win. Three times he'd fallen, stumbling, Three times he rose again. Too far behind to hope to win, he still ran to the end. They cheered the winning runner as he crossed the line first place, head high and proud and happy, no falling, no disgrace. But when the fallen youngster crossed the line last place, the crowd gave him the greater cheer for finishing the race. And even though he came in last with head bent low, not proud, you would have thought he would won the race to listen to the crowd. And to his dad, he sadly said, I didn't do too well. To me, you won, the father said. You rose each time you fell. And now when things seem dark and bleak and difficult to face, the memory of that little boy helps me in my own race. For all of life is like that race with ups and downs and all. And all you have to do to win is rise each time you fall. Pray. Father, we're thankful for your undying grace, mercy, patience with us. And we are thankful that you use the circumstances of our lives, both the good and the bad, to just bring us more into this good and pleasing and perfect will that you have for us. And Father, I know that um, we get discouraged sometimes, either because life is hard or because of our own failures. Um, But we know that you're not giving up on us, so help us to not give up on us. Help us continually be working to align ourselves with your will because you are good, good God. And we believe you'll make a way for us. Jesus' name.